4: From the Berkshires to the sound, from wherever you live in MLB America, this is Inside the Parker. You give us 22 minutes and we'll give you the scoop on Major League Baseball. Now, here's Baseball Hall of Fame voter number 76, Rob Parker.
5: Welcome into the podcast. I'm your host, Rob Parker. What a show we have for you today. We're talking closer. With former Major League closer Heath Bell, he stopped by. Also, longtime Tiger radio broadcaster Dan Dickerson, he'll drop by as well. Plus, foul or fair, let's go. Better up. To lead off, it's
4: getting robbed. And keep him up. Rob's hot take on the three biggest stories in Major
5: League Baseball.
4: Number one.
5: If you still are hemming and hawing about who the best player in Major League Baseball is, you can pipe down. It's Mike Trout. Are you watching? Are you alive? Are you dead? Man, is he off to a, a torrid start to the Major League Baseball season. On Tuesday night, Trout playing against the Cleveland Guardians went two for three. A homer, a double, a walk, three RBIs. And, yes, Trout is raking through the first 14 games. He's batting three forty-seven coming into Wednesday. And he leads the major leagues in OPS with a 1.234. Anthony Rizzo from the Yankees is second with a 1.144. But, man, people forgot about Trout because of last year – Uh, He only played 36 games. He had that uh, strained right calf. And Shohei Ohtani stole the show, his teammate. So everybody was all into Ohtani, and he's the next best thing. And all Trout does is come out of the box through the first 14 games just smoking, playing like we've seen him do before, and – Let's think about this in his career. A three-time American League MVP, nine-time All-Star. I mean, what else can he do? He plays defense. He runs the bases. He uh, he hits for power. He hits for average. Mike Trout, until further notice, is the best player in baseball.
4: Number two.
5: Hats off and congratulations to Miguel Cabrera, who got his 3,000th hit on Saturday against the Colorado Rockies. What an amazing career. Seventh player in Major League Baseball history with 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. And you know what? Can we even one-up it and make it even better? Talk about being an elite company. Miguel Cabrera is now only the third player in Major League Baseball history with 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, and a 300 or better batting average. And the other two guys, Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. Yes, Miggy is in that elite company. An incredible career that started with the Marlins and took off in Detroit, and he put up incredible numbers, and it was great to see the way that the fans reacted to him in Detroit. An an amazing run, obviously, He'll be a first-ballot Hall of Famer. 500 home runs alone gets you my vote, and he has 3,000 hits. That gets you my vote. So hats off again to Miguel Cabrera and um, his outstanding career thus far. Number three, the New York freaking Yankees had their own cheating scandal in a mysterious letter that was sent to the Yankees And that was made public on Tuesday as a few days before it was scheduled to be unsealed by a judge's order. We finally find out that uh, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred wrote to Yankees GM Brian Cashman regarding MLB's investigation into cheating allegations against the team. And, you know. The two biggest uh, revelations from this letter is that the Yankees used their dugout phone to relay stolen signs in 2015 and 2016. And Manfred uh, appears to have uh, hid the truth from the public when he said in a statement in 2017 that the Yankees hadn't cheated. How? If it's in this letter and, you know, it was similar to what the Boston Red Sox got caught doing when they used electronic equipment in their cheating scandal, including a, a smartphone to sp- steal communications between uh, teams and their players. Yeah, this is uh, this is stinky. This will be interesting to see how it plays out. The Astros thing was such a big deal. Will fans go off on the Yankees, or because it's a letter now and no one got suspended? I think the Yankees just had to pay a fine. This is weird on how this plays out, but I I get the feeling that it won't have the same impact as we saw with the Houston Astros.
4: Here comes the big interview. Listen and learn.
5: Oh, it's so good. Now let's welcome to the podcast former Major League closer Heath Bell, who was a star with the San Diego Padres. Had three uh, tremendous seasons, closing games. Heath, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. No no doubt. I want to talk about relief pitching with you. I know you retired in 2015. Uh, who's the best closer in baseball right now? Is it Josh Hader uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers? Or is it A. O'Raldis Chapman with the Yankees? Who's the best out there? Well, I'd like
6: to say... Um, the Brewers probably have the best closers, but, you know, longevity right now, it's kind of, you'd have to say Chapman, but, um, you know, I think the—I think Harden with uh, the Braves has that mystique of that little craziness that um, batters don't like and that, you know, like your screws are loose or whatnot. I think <laughs> Chapman just throws hard and he's got nasty stuff, but nobody's really afraid of him.
5: Yeah, I look at both of those guys that I mentioned in Hader and, and Chapman and neither have given up a run so far this season. It's still early, obviously. Uh, Hader has 12 strikeouts. Chapman has 11. Um, you do have to be a little crazy and, and make people feel that way. It's really, really a tough job. How did you you know handle it and what was your mentality when you went out there?
6: Well, I was always taught to go out there and, and pretend like you know, um, you're. <clears throat> it's a w- one-run game. You're up by one. You got to get it done. Nobody's gonna get come from behind you. You know, you're basically either gonna win the game or lose the game, or we'll save the game or lose the game. And um, you know, it was for like me on the mound. I always wanted somebody to charge me, and I think people kind of knew that. I didn't do anything to get people to charge me. I just thought it would be really fun if somebody was going to charge me and everybody thought I was a little nuts with that. And I just thought it would be interesting to see what I would do. But um, I guess that's how they say your screws are loose or whatnot, that you kind of, um, you like the weird atmosphere. You know, I, I like it when the other fans uh, booed me as in, like, I'll give you an example. When I was five, six years old, we were at a ball game. I think we were watching the California angels play. My dad, looked at me and goes, son, one day you could be here. And I said, yeah, I hope 50,000 people cheer me or boo me. And he's like, why would you want them to boo you? And he go, I said, because I'm playing for the opposing team and we're kicking their butt. (laughs) Hey,
5: hey, I like that mentality. I remember when I was a kid growing up, and I don't know if you know this name, but the St. Louis Cardinals had a closer, Al... The the mad Hungarian.
6: I remember the Hungarian. Yeah, was Al Robosky
5: was his name. And he was uh, he was a little nuts in the back of the mound, and he would come in and slam the ball in his glove. And it was a great act. And he used to get people out, and I think that's all that matters when you're a closer.
6: And I think, so like the Hungarian, it was one of those things that it made him do the best he can do. And when I ran out of the bullpen and – came in like a raging bull or whatnot. That was kind of like me to get me where I needed to be to perform the best. It wasn't like, I'm going to scare the other guys. It was just a way for me to get to to the best of my ability. And I think that's how a lot of closers are. You know, they, you, they're not like, if you're trying to do something just to, you know, freak the other, the hitters out or psych them out, It's not going to work. The hitters are too smart. They're too um, too smart for that.
5: Our guest is former Major League closer Heath Bell, who, of course, uh, broke broken with the Mets in 2004, three-time All-Star, two-time National League Rolaids Relief Man Award in 2009 and uh, 2010. And the closer sometimes, I think, Heath gets overlooked. It's a huge job. I I could always remember I worked in New York during the Yankees winning those championships and Mariano Rivera, and and I could easily say, they wouldn't have won those 5 World Series without Mariano. Like he was that important. And so far there's only been 8 relievers in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Do you think that people don't respect the reliever or the closer enough?
6: I think it's just it's just how the game has kind of moved and how it's evolved and stuff where like DHing and wasn't that important before and now it's really important um you know it's all about wins. You know, middle relief guys—they're starting to get promoted a little bit more. But the Hall of Fame, you know, it's—it's uh, it's one of those things. Baseball and the Hall of Fame are kind of like two separate entities or whatnot. It's kind of hard to explain because Major League Baseball has nothing to do with the Hall of Fame, right? The writers. But I think eventually people will get known, and all the things that we do now will kind of like—is building blocks for the the next generation to possibly to get into the Hall of Fame, but. I think people are starting to realize, like, even at the All-Star game, you're getting mid-relief guys in there now because those are really important guys. And that's why I think at the All-Star game, there's not a whole lot of runs being scored because you before you had a bunch of starters and then you had a couple, you know, you had two or three closers in there and the starters weren't used to pitching like in the seventh inning, just one inning. So now you got guys that are coming in with pressure situations, they're used to doing that, so it's harder for the hitters.
5: Let me ask you, you replaced a, a legend in Trevor Hoffman, a Hall of Famer there in San Diego, and at one point you tied his record, uh, you did, uh, 41 straight saves. What was that like replacing a guy like uh, Hoffman, who was you know legendary in San Diego?
6: Well, Tre- Trevor's a, a legend. He's awesome. I've always said in San Diego, I never want to be Trevor Hoffman. I want to be number two, because he's number one. And I always joked around saying, you know, I can't fulfill his shoes because he wears size 14 and I wear size 13. So I couldn't do that. And I just became the best person I could possibly do. And then the funny part was when I actually tied his record, I had an opportunity to break his record. I think it was a Sunday day game and it was Trevor Hoffman day. You know, it was like the bobblehead and whatnot. Right. And Uh with two outs two outs with the guy on third. I had a ground ball, easy ground ball to the shortstop, uh, uh, um, uh, chase Headley and he fielded it. And then he, for some odd reason, saw a gopher in the infield and threw the ball straight in the ground. And Adrian Gonzalez <laughs> couldn't pick up the ball. The run scored. I blew to save. We got, I struck the next guy out. Then we came back and I think, uh, Adrian hit a walk-off home run or, you know, Trevor Hoffman and, people asked me you could have broke it and I said honestly this is Trevor Hoffman's day I'm just honored to tie his record and there's no way I would want to tie- break his record on his day in San Diego here so I just think you know that gopher that popped up in the infield you know that Chase tried to hit um I think was great what he did or whatnot and you know I ended up putting another string of like 10 saves in a row there but uh That was kind of the quirkiness about me is I was just loving playing baseball. I got to do what I dreamed of doing as a little kid. I got paid a bunch of money to play a game. And, um, you know, I think a lot of guys forget that this is a kid's game that we play ball, you know, and we get paid for it. We're a bunch of adults playing kids games. So um, I just worked really hard and and did it and did it to the best of my ability and got to the top.
5: And now you're retired since 2015, and you started your own podcast. Tell us about it, Heat.
6: Yeah, so I'm, I'm mostly doing about the San Diego Padres, uh, talking about them and how their season's gone, doing a little bit of baseball about, like, the whole league here and there. But I say some quirky things, you know, like the unwritten rule and that I need to write a book about that, and I tell stories, and my stories are a little, like, you know, like when the first time I made the All Star game, it was the first time I made the All Star game in my whole life. So I was like at a kid at a candy store that my dad's like, built this bucket. You could have whatever you want or kid at Christmas morning. So, and I'm trying to get the fans involved and occasionally I'm going to go to some games and, and interview people there um, at Petco Park and on the road. So it's going to be really like fan involved and let's have some fun on this uh, podcast.
5: Heath, what's the name of the podcast? It's called Ring in the Bell. All right, Ring in the Bell. We appreciate you so much, Heath. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast. And good luck with your podcast, my man. All right,
6: thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care.
4: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. It's time for the Pocket Protector Central. The analytic numbers you
5: need to know. Well, maybe. Anthony Masterson is his name. BS Analytics is his game. What do you got for me, Anthony? Been a lot of talk
7: about umpires over the last few years, namely whether or not they're going to stick around behind home plate or be replaced by robots. If you were watching Sunday Night Baseball this week, you saw an apoplectic Kyle Schwarber giving home plate umpire Angel Hernandez A few pieces of his mind after a blown strike three call in the ninth inning. That's the thing. It was a blown call. Fans have complained about umpires and the strike zone since the dawn of time. But now, with the data that we have, we can compartmentalize it and prove an ump missed a call. Or not. Now, all these umpires are in the big leagues for a reason. And an umpire's correct call percentage will all be between 90 and 95%. Alan Porter has led each of the last two seasons at 94%. With StatCast data, each pitch is given a whopping 89 different attributes, the most important for these purposes being the pitch's horizontal and vertical position as it crosses the plate and the height of the top and bottom of the strike zone. You look at the top 10 list of missed calls since last season, and it's a who's who of cursed names. Greg Gibson, Joe West, Laz Diaz, and of course, the aforementioned Hernandez. Now, Ethan Singer and Ethan Schwartz, the college heroes of the UMP Scorecards website, rated Hernandez's effort on Sunday night... And it did not make the grade. Hernandez was 88% accurate overall, but just 77% with his called strikes, meaning 11 of 48 called strikes were actually balls, including the one that set Schwarber off. Now, are we moving to robot umps? Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. But for now, umpires are getting the stat cast treatment too. We've come a long way since Quest Tech Machines. <laughs>
5: That ball is. It was
8: a big
4: week in the big leagues.
8: Who's up? Who's up? I don't believe it.
4: My, oh, my. Is it foul or is it fair? And now, from MLBBro.com, here's J.R.
5: Gamble. The New York Mets defeated the St. Louis Cardinals 3 0 Tuesday night to secure their sixth straight series win. JR, is it foul or fair to say that new Mets owner Stephen Cohen is the best thing to happen to the Metropolitans since Dwight Gooden's arrival in 1984?
8: Fair. It's a fair ball. I had my skepticism when the billionaire purchased the team from the Will Palms. I would have liked to see the ownership team led by Rod get a shot, but you have to admit, Everything Steve Cohen has touched has turned to gold. The Mets are currently sitting at fourteen and five with the best record in baseball. He's shown the ability to play the background when need be, open up his bank and checkbook when need be. He's also shown the baseball knowledge to pull the trigger on moves like bringing in a season manager like Buck Showalter. After a disastrous first season, the Lindor pickup is looking promising as Francisco has found his stroke and he's back loving Met fans again. Getting Starling Marte, a real baseball player, Eduardo Escobar and merging them with guys like franchise cornerstones, Peter Alonso. And of course, a pitching staff that even without Jacob deGrom is quite formidable. The Mets are sitting in first place and the flushing fans couldn't be any happier. When the Wilpon sold the Mets, fans overjoyed and had optimism that at least they would spend money when needed to get over the hump. It was no clearer that Cohen ushered in a new era in Mets history than when he signed Mad Max Scherzer to a three-year, $130 million contract. The three-time Cy Young Award winner was in the fold. It proved Cohen was all in and the Mets are definitely better off for it turn money into more money. Now it's time for Betting on the Bases with Dave
9: Gascot. Love that
8: money. Love that money.
9: Rob, we start off a new week, and I'm going to look all West Coast action for this one, but a few of the teams are going to be on the East Coast. Not the Dodgers. They're at home against the Detroit Tigers. First pitch is at 10:10 Eastern. Tigers this season. A few games under 500. Dodgers are riding sky high, despite the fact that it looked great in Arizona, but nevertheless, they're still the best team in the National League. Tyler Anderson goes for Los Angeles in this one, so I'm taking L.A. to win it, straight up. Also, San Diego Padres are in Pittsburgh this weekend to take on the Pittsburgh Pirates. You Darvish is going on Friday afternoon, at least 3.30 Pacific. It'll be 6.30 Eastern, so he goes up against Zach Thompson. taking San Diego in that one, despite the fact that their offense has just been dismal this season. A handful of guys are batting under 200 on the year, but their starting pitching has been stiller. Speaking of starting pitching, I'm also going with the Angels. They're in south side of Chicago against the White Sox. Noah Syndergaard early on, 2-0 record with a two twelve ERA. He's opposed by Vince Velasquez, who's yet to get a victory this season, ERA at 7. When Rob was a newspaper columnist, he lived by this motto.
4: If I'm writing, I'm ripping. Let's bring in a writer or broadcaster, old
5: or new. All right, now let's welcome to the podcast longtime Tigers announcer, one of the best voices on radio, Mr. Dan Dickerson, a friend of mine. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Rob, thanks for having me on. Always good to talk to you. No doubt. And big doings going on in uh, Detroit. And uh, I, I just, a couple things. Obviously, Miguel Cabrera with his Three thousand hit to go along with five hundred home runs. But before we get there, Dan, and I want you to talk about Miggy's career and what he's done. I, I love the uh, sound when you guys were on the radio, and Aaron Boone and the Yankees decided to walk Miguel Cabrera <laughs> with runners on second and third and two outs in a close game, and you were like, "There's no way he's gonna, are uh, gonna walk him?" It sounded tongue in cheek. <laughs> But you understood the Yankees in that situation, oh, right? Oh,
10: ab- absolutely. Yeah, I made a joke of it. Before he did, I said, I think the rule is if you're going for 3,000 and first base is open, you have to pitch to <laughs> them. And then he put up the four fingers. and was like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I just I got a kick out of the uh, the crowd reaction. And I made the point that Ron Gardenhire said he learned a long time ago. Sometimes he just pitch to the stars because that's what the fans come to see. But really, when you talk to him, you understood why I did it. Talking to AJ the next day, it's like there wasn't a single manager in the game who would pitch to Miguel Cabrera. There.
5: <laughs> Period. Right. It, it, right. The score was one nothing, and you got you're in the game. You going to pitch to the best. Right. Every
10: game, every win is so important. Toronto missed the playoffs by one game last year. You think Charlie Montoya couldn't find one game where he probably regretted the decision? He's like, no, you have to, you have to do exactly what he did. And I, I get it, but I just we had a little fun with the
5: moment. Yeah, oh yeah, it sounded fun on the radio. I loved listening to it. Uh just talk about Miggy and his accomplishment obviously to get 3000 hits. I mean, you know, only 33 players have done it in Major League Baseball. Only 7 have 500 home runs and and 3000 hits. I mean, he's had a tremendous career.
10: Oh my goodness. And it's just, you know, and the impact remains, uh Rob, even though we know the production is down, but the the impact that he has on opposing pitchers, how they pitch to him, how they pitch it around him. Sometimes still, it's an outsized impact that he has on the guys in that clubhouse and the guys who hit around him. And you just, every year there's a young kid who joins the team or even a veteran and says, I'm learning just by watching Miguel Cabrera. You know, he hasn't been the most vocal leader. That's not his style, but he loves talking, hitting with his teammates and they learn if they're willing to sit and talk with them, they're going to learn something. And I thought really the neatest part of the last two years, Rob, the chase for 500. We got a chance to talk about all the people that he was passing on the leaderboard on his way to 500. It was fun to be able to review all those great names and all of their accomplishments, but also to put his accomplishments in perspective. And then maybe my favorite moment of the last two years or the entire time, maybe that he's been in Detroit. He was very on Saturday morning the day he got his 3,000th fit. He's kind of holding court at his, at his locker. Now, He never does that. No, you know, I know that. He was talking with them. So people kind of started filtering over and you're thinking, well, he might just kind of shut it down here because again, it's just, that's not what he does. It's not, he just doesn't, you know, doesn't do it a whole lot anyway. So he ends up holding court for a half an hour answering every question, laughing, joking, serious, reflective, emotional. I mean, it was so neat. You could tell how much it meant to him to, to accomplish this. And you know, he's asked who are you going to think of when you're around first base or wherever, whatever base you end up on your hit. My uncle, David Torres, who was his hitting coach, who taught him that beautiful opposite field approach, big part of the field approach. Um, he kept talking about Spencer Torkelson and he goes, do you guys know how good he is? I mean, just all the topics that he covered, but you can tell it was very special to him and Every time he talked about how special it was for him, he went back to one thing, winning, because that's all he wants to do. And it always gets back to winning. And I think he now feels like he's on a team that has enough talent to actually be in the conversation, and he loves that more than anything.
5: Our guest is Dan Dickerson, longtime Tigers broadcaster. And, and Dan, uh, when, you're, when you're as a broadcaster and you're ready for this moment, do you prepare do you want it to be natural you know everyone it's a it's a it's a clip that everyone's gonna hear it's like (laughs) am i right it's a tough spot to be in you don't want it to be too scripted but you but you want it to be memorable correct
10: that that's a great way to put it right there i think that you just nailed it and that's the so i've I've settled that because i've been doing this long enough i've settled on a couple of things so you've got Early when they started to um, get into, uh, you know, like when they were going to make the postseason, you were very aware of those calls are going to be replayed. So I remember that when they clinched in 06, first time they made it 19 years, I wrote that one out and then I basically read it when they clinched. And I'm like, well, that sounded can because it was. So you learn, okay, react to the moment and then hopefully have something to say on the back end that can, you know, try to capture the moment, however you're going to do that, right? So I think that's what, I, with this call, you know it's coming, so you you can't tell Miguel, please get a ground ball single to right because that's what I'm planning for, okay? So <laughs> you have to right. react to the moment. I was hoping he wasn't going to get, you know, the 600th double because that would have complicated the call. <laughs> so, right, right. So you react to the moment, try to describe the moment, and then, yes, you do plan out the the next part because if you want it to be special and you, I wanted it to be special for him. It sounds funny, but I did. I'm thinking, I don't know if he'll ever listen to it, but he'll have this <laughs> to commemorate the moment. And so I, I wanted to think of what I wanted to say. And then, you know, that was kind of what I came up with. And I did write it down. Now I didn't read it, but I wrote it down because I didn't, it's not going to be a commemorative call or a memorable call if you screw up any part of that, right? <laughs> so. So that's how it works. It's like react to the moment. That's all reactive and just, just trust that you're going to describe it well. But you do have to plan for the back end of that call and what you want to say to try to capture, you know, how do you try to capture this career in a couple of sentences. And, but that's, you know, that's what you try to do.
5: For all baseball fans, and these moments are special, here is the call from Dan Dickerson and Miguel Cabrera's 3,000th hit. Upright, relaxed stance. Tucks the left shoulder in as he cacks the bat over the right. The 1-1 one, one, ground ball, base hit in the
10: right. 3,000 for Miguel Cabrera. Raises his arms. Iglesias the first to hug him. The Tigers' dugout empties as they charge over to first base and let the hug dispensing begin. Oh, what an incredible journey from a skinny 15 year old discovered on the dusty fields of Moracai to an icon in Motown. Miguel Cabrera, the pride of Venezuela, has joined one of the most exclusive clubs containing the best hitters in baseball history
5: Three thousand hits. Were you happy with it, Dan, when you heard it after? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
10: you dread it. You dread hearing it for the first time. I, I knew I hadn't screwed up, but it's just like, okay, how did it actually sound over the air? And I heard it back. I'm like, okay, that sounded, that sounded okay. And I got nice feedback, so that's all you care about. If you know, if if there's no feedback or if it was like, eh, okay. Uh, but the feedback was very nice, so I know it didn't screw it up. But seriously, Rob, it's like don't screw it up, okay? Just right. know that you can do this. Don't screw it up.
5: <laughs> I'm not. Su- I'm not surprised that you didn't screw it up because you're a tremendous baseball <laughs> announcer. You know you are. Hey, couple last things. Uh, putting Cabrera's career uh, in focus, and obviously he's a first ballot Hall of Fame. I mean, I, he would get my vote with 500 home runs. Let alone 3,000 hits, he would get my vote uh, again. And he also joined an elite club of, of batting, having a 300 or better batting average. Only Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Miguel mm. Cabrera have done that. I mean, you want to talk about the creme wow. de la creme of baseball. That speaks volumes, doesn't it?
10: Yeah, and these are manufactured numbers. You've seen the list. Uh, the only guy with 432 doubles, at least 23 triples, uh, 387 homers. No, 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 these are 500, 600. 3,000 or 500, 300, 3,000. These are legit numbers that mean something. And when you think that one group includes Aaron and Pujols and the other includes Aaron and Mays and Miguel's the third in each group, it's a, it's a wow.
5: Last thing about the Tigers and coming into Wednesday, uh, six and 10, uh, played some good ball last year. What kind of team and what can we expect? Can they compete in the Central?
10: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with the start the White Sox are off. I mean, White Sox are still the team to beat. I don't care if they lost eight in a row or not. They're still the team to beat. But I think with the Tigers, what they did, that, you know, adding not just Rodriguez and Baez, but Chafin and Sineda after the lockout. You, you've got a well-rounded roster. Rob Spencer Torkelson is going to be an impact bat this year. Riley Green, when he's healthy, and it might be mid-season before, you know, it's a broken bone in his foot. He's going to be playing center field, you know, but when he comes back, he will be an impact bat. And basically the way I look at it, pitching and defense is going to be better. They have to have a good enough offense, and I'm talking like a middle-of-the-pack offense instead of 11th, like it was last year, to go with much improved run prevention. The, The championship teams, you know it at pitching and defense. And right now the pitching side of the equation is off to a very good start, even without some key arms. And I think that's why this team is going to be absolutely in the thick of things right into September.
5: His name is Dan Dickerson, one of the best baseball announcers in the country. He uh, does the Tigers in Detroit. And uh, what a pleasure to have you on after such a big moment, Dan. Thank you so much. Appreciate you.
10: No, I'm always great talking with you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Now bring in the closer.
8: Track one. Track two.
4: three. Here's why MLB is better than the NFL or NBA. And it isn't even close.
5: Reason number 55 why Major League Baseball is better than the NBA and better than the NFL. And it took place in Cincinnati last week when there were some fans who showed up with paper bags over their heads. Yes, the Reds have been that bad this year. It was in the midst of an 11-game losing streak by Cincinnati. Fans aren't happy. That's a storied franchise, and they care. And they're embarrassed by their franchise and what's going on. They've let a lot of great players go. They almost made the playoffs a year ago, and now they're dog food. And as Reds official tried to get them to take off their bags when they were doing a live television interview, which was ridiculous. Fans should have the right to peacefully protest or make a statement, and bravo to the fans in Cincinnati for caring that much to even put on a bag, but to go to the games. They could have just stayed home. Instead, they bought tickets, and they wore their paper bags, and I applaud the Cincinnati Reds fans. In the words of New York TV legend, the late Bill Jorgensen, thanking you for your time this time. Until next time, Rob Parker, out. He can't get it. This could be an inside to Parker. See you next week. Same bat time, same
10: bat station.
4: at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions
0: apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History class. Let's go places.